welcome to Moving Upstream, a podcast by Prevention Institute. We're a national nonprofit with offices in Oakland, Los Angeles, Houston, and Washington, D.C. Each episode, we look closely at a health or equity issue in the news to understand how we got here and to find a healthier, more equitable way forward. Today, we're talking about healthcare organizations that are working to improve community conditions that impact health. Healthcare professionals are very aware that community factors play a major role in people's health, and some healthcare organizations have taken on this work as part of their mission. I'm Leslie Mickelson, and I'm joined today by my Prevention Institute colleagues, Rhea Pinares, Sandra Vieira, and Katie Miller, to talk about what we've learned so far. Welcome to all of you. Katie, can you tell us about the Build Health Challenge? The Build Health Challenge is a collaborative of funders who've come together to fund communities across the country who are working to improve the conditions that cause poor health. Each Build partnership at its core consists of three required partners who are a community-based organization who serves as the lead, a local health department, and a health system. And what's unique about Build is that the health system is required not only to participate, but actually to provide a one-to-one funding match, either in cash, in kind, or a mix of those two. And the hope is by bringing the health system partner to the table in this way through the match that it will build a deeper, more authentic relationship that might continue beyond the two-year funding cycle. For example, one site that we've worked with closely in Build 1.0 was the Oakland site, which is our neighbor here in the Bay Area. And their core team consisted of the East Bay Asian Local Development Corporation, who served as the CBO lead, Alameda County Public Health, and Sutter Health as the health system. And they came together through the San Pablo Area Revitalization Collaborative to really look at the conditions that were driving poor health in a one and a half mile segment of the San Pablo Avenue corridor of West Oakland. This is a community that's experienced significant disinvestment over the years where folks are having to move out due to high rent. There are blighted spaces and jobs are disappearing and not paying adequate wages for the folks who are living there. The health outcome that they were focusing on was high blood pressure. At the emergency room for Sutter Health, they're seeing lots of clients coming in with issues around high blood pressure. But the strategies that they looked at to try to improve this long term were engaging community residents to pursue business development, to pursue job opportunities with more livable wages, to look at bringing in more affordable housing, and to looking into improving parks and open spaces to make the community feel more cohesive and safe. And what's really exciting about the work that this group is doing is that when their build funding ended two years ago, Sutter Health actually agreed to continue funding the collaborative, and they also have an ongoing data sharing agreement. Let's talk about another initiative that Prevention Institute is working on. Rhea, will you tell us about community-centered health homes? Sure. Prevention Institute developed the Community-Centered Health Homes, or CCHH for short, model back in 2011. And what started as a smallish paper research project where we interviewed community health centers and clinics from across the country, from states as diverse as Hawaii to South Carolina. And we really talked to them about what they were doing to engage communities and improve community health on a broader level besides just providing treatment and services and high-quality medical care. We're excited to see that through really innovative philanthropic support, the model is actually being tested in almost 30 sites around the country. So North Carolina, the Gulf states, 
and Texas. And it's mostly through community health centers that this model is being tested. The difference between CCHH and an initiative like BUILD is that the healthcare institutions, in this case, primarily community health centers, are the focal point of the change. And it really takes them through a process of what it means to truly and authentically engage with communities. CCHH is really about a culture shift and moving from something that many clinics say they thought was intrinsic, that, you know, of course they work on community health, it's part of their mission, to really something that's more intentional and systematic so that all of their staff understand that the clinic is really there for the community. Let me give you an example out of the project being funded by Episcopal Health Foundation in Houston, Texas. The HOPE Clinic, as part of their CCHH initiative, developed a walkability study. This was a simple sheet of paper that asked questions about the surrounding community. And then they took staff members and board members on a walk around maybe like a half mile radius around the clinic. And they looked at things like, are there sidewalks surrounding the clinic for people who don't have access to a car and can't utilize the parking lot? When it rains, how flooded do the streets get? How hard is it to walk in these streets? What's available when you go outside the clinic walls? Is it a fast food restaurant? How close are they to grocery stores? Some of the, the things the clinic started to report is this really created a better understanding among the clinic staff about what patients might go through to get to a clinic appointment. If a mother walks in with two children an hour late to an appointment, the front desk staff isn't hurt. They understand that you know maybe that mother had to walk a couple miles to the clinic or it was raining that day and so there weren't safe places to walk or they were getting flooded. So it really created a better understanding among the staff of what patients go through outside of the clinic walls and what patients go through in their own communities. In California, the St. Joseph Health Community Partnership Fund launched an effort called the Intersections Initiative. Sandra, could you tell us more about Intersections? Absolutely, Leslie. I'm really excited about the work that's taking place under the Intersections Initiative. It's an initiative that's led by the St. Joseph's Health Community Partnership Fund, which is part of the Providence St. Joseph's Health System. And it's really picking up on that notion that while it's important to support individuals and patients and clients in accessing transportation services, temporary housing, food security, that there is a role for healthcare to be involved in changing the community conditions that lead to that need in the first place. So the Intersections Initiative asks healthcare, and primarily in this initiative, really bringing the strengths and experience of the community benefit managers of each hospital ministry, of which there are seven across California, and ask them to convene and facilitate a table of partners that have identified community conditions that are leading to poor health outcomes and find strategic targeted ways to change the policies and systems that create those poor community conditions in the first place. So this set of sites is working 
at a community level with their partners to not only identify the problem, but really think through and commit to a broader solution that will continue to engage community residents, other partners, and bridges that divide between social needs and social determinants. For example, in the community uh, of the high desert in Southern California, we have a St. Mary's Hospital that's working closely with their community partners to address not only the, the chronic health issues that they're seeing or the safety issues that they're seeing, but they've gone a step further and really identified that the isolation of the community, that the fact that young people are leaving the high desert in search of other jobs and other opportunities outside of their area is a huge health and well-being issue for their communities. So they're targeting education and the school systems and trying to find ways to empower parents and students to be part of the decision-making that affects what's offered in schools, what's offered outside of schools, how kids are being welcomed and included in schools as part of their efforts. And they're using that to think through, well, how do we also, in addition to preparing students and young kids for futures in the high desert, how do we also create the economic development opportunities for that as well? So they're working to infuse prevention and health and health equity in local and regional economic development opportunities so that we can match that potential and that skill on the school side and on the education side to an actual work and employment opportunity that will allow folks to stay and to thrive in the communities that they're a part of. So that's an example from the high desert. It's just so striking to hear about all these examples of healthcare taking on what really is a rather different role being out and being an active partner in community. I'd love to hear from your perspective. What are some of the challenges with healthcare organizations taking on this work? One of the challenges that I'm seeing is often the partner who's coming to the table is a community benefit manager. And they may be very deeply engaged or believe in the work, but their participation doesn't necessarily signal a broader or deeper commitment by the leadership of the health system. We do see a lot of variance in the engagement of leadership, and that has an impact on how sustainable the work is. Another challenge is this issue of power dynamics in communities. Often the health system is a major employer, if not the number one employer. They have a history of relationships with partner organizations and the residents that may be challenging. The residents may not trust the healthcare organization. Their partner organizations might feel like they can't challenge the health system or ask them to change direction in a certain way. So they really need to have an honest conversation and grapple with what the history is, what the dynamics are, if they're going to have a positive working relationship moving forward. And one more thing I want to mention that's really tactical is a challenge around data sharing agreements. Many of the sites are working with their health system to share data among organizations, and it takes a really long time to get a data sharing agreement in place. This is often due to legal challenges related to HIPAA, and a piece of advice that I've heard many sites say is just be really patient. It can take one to two years. So Leslie, as you rightfully acknowledge, some of this work may be outside of the traditional role of a healthcare provider. And we see that as a huge challenge with the CCHH model. 
Immediate patient needs are still so important and urgent and take priority for many healthcare providers, especially for community health centers that already might be facing budget cuts and increasing patient loads. And, you know, healthcare providers were trained to provide medical treatment and provide direct, tangible solutions like medication or education programs. I think it's really a challenge to see CCHH as not just a project, but really about culture change. And as we all know, culture change is hard and can take time, and it requires dedicated time, a shared vocabulary and understanding. As one clinic has said, CCHH isn't what we do, it's who we are. And I think it's really trying to build that understanding that this doesn't have to be something that's in addition to what you do, but it can really be something that helps to enhance overall patient care in making sure that communities are healthy in the first place. The other challenge I think that's surfacing in some of this work is just how we are measuring accomplishment and progress and outcomes. A lot of what health systems do are measured by the individuals they are served, referrals, services provided, programs that they're offering. And again, as Rhea said, they're very important and they are going to support people perhaps stabilizing their health, but they're not necessarily going to restore health. And when we're looking at some of the illnesses and injuries that are burdening our health system, we really need to look upstream and we need to help the health systems look upstream and to make the case internally and within the community as well as to why they should gravitate towards a focus on community change, policy change, and systems change so that we can see their measurable and tangible outcomes. So that's an area that Prevention Institute is working with our various partners and within various initiatives to help develop those metrics, those indicators, those ways of talking and sharing our work so that we're making the compelling and quantifiable case, in some cases, around why this uh, work is important. Our challenge and call to action is to help the health systems make the case and help to measure this work because it's different and it's important and it's really, you know, where the direction of the field is going. I really appreciate that perspective all of you are sharing. I think that we're really talking about a different vision of a system of health, which is moving from strictly a system of sick care, and this is often said from a system of sick care, to a system that's really about promoting health. Clearly, one challenge we know is out there is that right now our healthcare payment system is still really rewarding services. And so uh, it's no surprise then that that's where the profit centers are, that's what healthcare delivery systems are focused on, is how do they get reimbursed. I think what we maybe can segue to now is what are some of those bright spots and really the accurate role for healthcare to play? Because I, I do want to add one other observation I have from my work analyzing accountable communities for health, which are very formal, structured, sometimes regional, sometimes city or county level partnerships between healthcare, public health, and a variety of community organizations, is that we're not asking healthcare to suddenly take on public health. 
what traditionally has been talked about is community health or public health. We are asking them to be a valued partner, to use their day-to-day operations in a way that stands up for and champions community health improvement. That does not mean they have to take it all on. And in fact, one thing I really observed from the study we did for the state of Vermont is it was very, very important that the healthcare leadership recognize that if they were committed to changing community environments, that they needed partners at the table who understood how to do that. That's a different skill set. And one thing we might see or fear on the horizon is healthcare suddenly thinks, oh, we got to learn how to do that too. Oh, we got to learn how to change community environments. It's like, no, you need to learn how to be a good partner and stand up and support those community groups that do already understand how to do policy work. East Bay Asian Local Development Corporation, one that Katie mentioned, and I happen to know also long-term really strong policy advocates, really understand the built environment, understand land use policy, understand economic development. That is the the gem, I think, for healthcare is to understand who out there they can step up and support. So that's one example maybe of a bright spot. I'd like to really give all of you a chance to say, what what are some bright spots? What have you seen that's really working? So with the build communities we've worked with, of course, Oakland is a wonderful example, as you've mentioned and we talked about a little bit earlier. Another group I'd like to highlight comes out of Northern Kentucky, where the Northern Kentucky Regional Alliance is working with St. Elizabeth Healthcare, the health departments, and a few other local CBOs to try to reduce smoking rates in that area through tobacco policies. And one thing that's been really interesting about working with this group is the partners have actually been working together before prior to their build funding, including the health system partner. And what's really dynamic about their partnership with the health system is that their CEO is totally bought in to policy and systems change as a way to improve health. He's used his position as the CEO to talk to the business community, to talk to the Chamber of Commerce, and get them to see the business case for taking this approach to healthcare. And they've become partners, too, in an unexpected way. And They've had some progress during the two years of the build cycle, but I'm really excited to see what they're going to be able to put together even beyond the end of build because they have this longstanding commitment from the CEO and now from the business community. And I think they're going to do some impactful work in their community around tobacco. With CCHH, one bright spot that we're seeing is that it's actually giving physicians hope. I mentioned before this frustration or sense of hopelessness on the behalf of some providers that no matter what treatment they prescribe or how long they spend in their medical appointment, they know that once a patient goes outside the clinic that they're faced with a whole host of different community conditions that are not conducive to health. So even just the clinic participating in something as systematic as the CCHH initiative, we've heard that that gives their physicians hope. One example comes out of Asian Health Services, who we've long recognized as being a leader around community engagement and community health. And talking to their staff, they've talked about how the staff actually feel pride working at Asian Health Services because they know when they hear from their relatives, their parents, um, others in the community that they know of the good work that Asian Health Services is doing in partnership with community leaders and community organizations, that it brings a sense of pride back to them as staff working 
in that clinic. And it alleviates some of this sense of hopelessness. In another clinic we're working with, Heart of Texas, they've talked about how after forming a physician's council, physicians are really hopeful and engaged around trying to address some of these community determinants and knowing that the clinic is playing a role in it. And Rhea, I'm interested, do you have a sense then whether being part of a community-centered health home helps with staff retention? Informally and anecdotally, we've heard that. We've heard that it increases staff happiness and recognition. And as I mentioned, the Asian Health Services example, just being proud to work at a health center that's willing to address issues that go far beyond medical treatment. I think whether it's intersections or BUILD or CCHH, this is about transforming community environments across the U.S. to prevent problems from occurring in the first place and to ensure that historically excluded and presently day excluded um, communities have that opportunity. It seems like since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, there has been, I almost want to say, an exponential increase in initiatives that are talking about health care, community partnerships that are talking about the triple aim of improved population health, reduced costs, and improved quality of care. Yet I'm really picking up, I think, on something very unique about the examples all of you are describing, which is that it is going beyond the individual patient care delivery, which sometimes can involve lots of community partners, but really going deeper. As Sandra, you said it so eloquently, really addressing social disadvantage at a community level, things like housing, economic development, where there just are not enough services to go around related to the level of need. So when we talk about those kinds of healthcare community partnerships, those that are really trying to fundamentally address structural inequality at community, I'd really love to hear from all of you what you think the future holds. What's your real vision of where we can go, where we are going? I think what we're learning is, and along with healthcare, is what it takes to be a good partner and how to really engage with communities. Particularly for the CCHH model, clinics are doing that in different ways. I think, first of all, it really depends on what's available in the outside community, how strong the advocacy network is, who the partners are. I think they're doing that by taking a systematic approach, by really assessing who's in the community and who's working on different issues, and then thinking about the appropriate role they want to play. In some instances, it really will be a supportive or partnership role, either by sharing data and trying to figure out how to share their data with community organizations, lending their expertise to community hearings or city council meetings, um, or really just maybe even just providing a space for community-based organizations to meet and use their space. In other communities where the network might not be as strong, we're seeing community health centers play a bigger role. They may play a convening role. They may be actively sending staff out in the community to assess what the community conditions are and what the community needs as solutions. 
And so I think what we're going to see on the horizon is really trying to articulate what the appropriate role is for healthcare, and what we'll see is it's different community by community. When reflecting on the history of BUILD in a conversation that we had recently as a team, we were saying when the BUILD Health Challenge first launched, it was one of the first major initiatives that was looking at engaging healthcare explicitly. And since then, over the past five years, there are many more initiatives in this space, as we've discussed. One thing that I think is really interesting, and this comes up in the conversation that we're having today and other conversations, are the shared lessons learned. Even if the approach to engaging healthcare is different among initiatives, we're starting to see some of these same lessons rise to the top. And we have a real opportunity to share with each other and with the field what's working really well. Where are the opportunities? What are the lessons that should be shared and perhaps even scaled to affect broader systems change? not only in localities and states, but perhaps through across the country. And we're really excited to share those lessons with each other. We need to really stay loyal and connected to the strategies that improve community conditions and that ensure that all communities, and particularly those who have been excluded from our systems and have been segregated from our systems, have the opportunity to have safe, healthy, affordable, accessible housing, clean air, water, and soil that have access to living wages and opportunities for economic development, have strong educational systems, and really create spaces and places for people to have cultural and social identities that bring them together. Thanks so much for spending time with us, Rhea, Katie, and Sandra. And thanks to our audience for joining us for this episode of Moving Upstream. To learn more about today's show and how healthcare organizations are getting involved in their communities, visit our website at preventioninstitute.org. We'd love to hear your ideas and feedback about this podcast. Find us on Twitter. We're at PreventionInst. That's Prevention, I-N-S-T. We'd also really like to take a moment to thank the many foundations that have invested in this work. They include St. Joseph Health Community Partnership Fund, Episcopal Health Foundation, the Kresge Foundation, Blue Shield of California Foundation, and Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina Foundation. <laughs>